John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 983.PR3117, certificate number 39398, the presidential fitness test. You ever spend any time in the gunks? Do you know the gunks well? I don't know the gunks at all. What would you say the gunks are? I was kind of wondering. This was new to me as well. The gunks. It sounds like an intestinal problem. Yeah, they're like the bad guys from an '80s commercial, yeah. where it's like the the war, uh, the no, the uh, cold pricklies. Yeah, or the cavity creeps. Cavity creeps, or who are the ones that? Uh, yeah, the, who, the soggies, the ones that hate Captain Crunch. Yeah, is that them, what you were going to say? I was going to say that, but then the sudsing bubbles didn't they oh. at some point have a have an enemy? The Dow scrubbing bubbles hate, hate Mister Grout, Mister <laughs> Gray Grout. Yeah, Mister Tub Tub. Uh, Gross. Does that exist anymore? By the way, TV commercials where um, where there's like a personified cartoon enemy that the product fights. There do, there is one, and it's um, there's like some really gross one where it's a does, gross, does, gross green thing, and what is it? It's like tooth decay, maybe, or belching, or or it's, it's a pro belching commercial. No, I don't. The think American so. Belching Council reminds you to clear your. Gut daily. I saw I saw one where, where uh, not long ago, where I felt like, oh, that's like the scrubbing bubbles, except but really gross. They, they've really done some kind of research. There's people with electrodes tied to their brain, and their eyes are Ludovico'd open, and they watch the gross guy come out, and you know the the, yeah. the thing, the polygraph thing is spiking, and then the 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 lady, the nice lady, plugs in a Glade air freshener, <laughs> and they're just there's just this wave of. <laughs> Dopamine that hits oh, them. Thank God. Oh, she plugged in the Glade air freshener. And they got rid of the green meanies. I was brushing my teeth last night, and I was using Crest, and I realized that I have a very strong Crest loyalty back to my childhood. I do, too. And it's I think it's because of those. They were the only ones that had the fun kind of G.I. Joe commercials where the the Crest Corps or the Crest Commandos or whatever it was would... Am, am I... Uh, are you a little too old to remember I'm these? a little too old for that. I think I might remember it, but that didn't influence me. Like Saturday morning cartoons, a, a, a team of personified crest toothpaste warriors would fire crest-related weaponry at the cavity creeps and drive them back. I think that I think that might have been an early 80s uh, invention. The whole thing is set in a... I think it, if I remember it right, it's some kind of aquatic, maybe subterranean environment that's supposed to make you think they're maybe... That it's all happening in a big human mouth. Right. A big gross subterranean. There's commandos. Human mouth. There's commandos running around your gums. 
No, I, I always felt about Crest that it was the, that everything else, uh, all the other toothpastes were kind of like. Yeah. Like all the other. Quasi-Soviet equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I was a uh, Solomon ski binding guy and you couldn't have gotten me into Tyrolia ski bindings for all the. For all the money in the world. But toothpaste is exactly the same ingredients, active and otherwise, yeah. which means that Madison Avenue did somehow did an amazing job at convincing us that AIM and Colgate were the Pepsi of they were. Crest. Or like store store grade. Yeah, exactly. Toothpaste. And the AIM and Colgate guys are like, hey, what? <laughs> no, we're we're just we'll, we'll make a cartoon if you want. It's the same baking soda and and xanthan gum. Yeah, it's, it's the same stuff. It's a it's a certain dentist approved percentage of sodium trace amount of sodium fluoride and that's it i have noticed lately that i have very little gum loyalty i chew gum and uh i what a glimpse behind the curtain we're getting i know and gum seems like a thing you would be intensely loyal about sure it's they all taste different it's going to be in your mouth for an hour and here in the house there's a there's a lot of orbit loyalty oh wow but i'm I'm fine to just whatever's there, you know, I'll chew whatever gum you got. I mean, gum loyalty tends to peak in childhood when you're, you're on the level of the gum in the, in the checkout line, right? you know, and you're like, mom, can we get, can we get bubble yum? Oh, come on. It's so, it tastes like grape or watermelon. But if you told me that Orbit or bubble yum or whatever didn't exist anymore, I would be like, oh, okay. Cause yeah. I haven't looked at a pack, you know, now that I'm tall enough, I haven't looked at a pack of gum in 20 years. I I chew you know grown up gum that's that's some kind of mint flavor. Grown up like, gum, you know, it's like gum that's meant to be chewed by double grown-ups. mint after dark. Yeah, it's not for kids. It's like spicy, minty. Uh, but I definitely will chew gum all day. But I'm somebody that leaves it in for like four hours until it's a tasteless. Well, the flavor's gone in ten minutes, I right? Know, but I just like the. It's just chewing my cud, basically. It's evolutionary. Keeps me busy. Probably burns 100 calories a day. Uh, but maybe it makes you nervous. I, I found out I, I grind my teeth. My dentist called me the other day. And now she's making me like massage my my jaw and cheekbone before I go to bed at night. Oh, to like relax. Yeah. I don't know if it works. She called you? Well, she called me on it. She oh, didn't, oh, she didn't call me at home. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. To say like. Oh, who's calling? So we put a chip in your molars <laughs> and. Ken, I was looking over your files. <laughs> As I as I lay here in the bath. She's trying to upsell me. She's going through all her clientele. I want you to start massaging your face. Are you mis- what are you wearing right now? Are you mis- what part of your face are you massaging? She gave me one of those little jet jade rollers. Do you know those oh, yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which I don't think you're supposed to be using on your temples and chin. No, I think you are. Is that right? Well, I mean, I got one for Christmas. I thought they were for sore muscles. Why you have muscles in your face? Hey, that's hey, you're not wrong. Huh? You're not wrong. Huh? If if uh, if I didn't <laughs> I wouldn't be talking now. <laughs> the show would be a lot shorter. Follow the science. Do you have any idea why we are talking about toothpaste loyalty? Do you have any memory of this? It was only like 10 minutes ago. Well, my uh, my peak toothpaste loyalty days are also peak presidential fitness test days. So I I definitely put I lump them into like the 10 cults I was in as a as a preteen. This is a show about baby boom and Gen X childhood and all, all the way up through Maybe elder elder millennials, I guess. Mm, the elder millennials. Nah. I, I, I consult them all the time. <laughs> I've climbed to a mountain. <laughs> oh, elder millennials! I, I climb to them as I get to the, as I pull myself above the lip of the mountain. I hear Blink One Eighty Two. 
No. Uh, What's my age again? You're an elder millennial. The only reason we were talking about this is because I made the mistake of mentioning the gunks. Yeah. Oh, which, the gunks. Which are, in fact, the Shawangunk Mountains oh. in southeastern New York State. It's okay. kind. Of, it's a ridge that runs between, like, if you can picture kind of between the New Jersey border and the Catskills. So all of the listeners that were that are within a hundred miles of the Delaware River are like, yeah. come on, you guys! And in the future, I mean, it's probably a peninsula. You know, yeah, you're right. you're you're listening to us from the Shawangunk <laughs> Peninsula next mm-hmm. to the next to the Manhattan Bay or whatever. But um, our story begins in the Gunks in the 1930s when an orthopedic surgeon named Hans Kraus Hans Kraus Hans Kraus, he's American. I don't know why I'm doing that. Uh, and meets a uh, a woman named Bonnie Prudden. Not then as now, the gunks are just a uh, not a haven, but a what a, a magnet, a center for American rock climbing and uh, mountaineering. It's a, you know to this day there's you know that's that's it's close to it's close to the city. Yeah, go good, up there for some rock climbing. Good rock climbing. And Bonnie Prudden is one of the leading American mountaineers of her day. Apparently, you know she's. She becomes kind of a quasi celebrity, and maybe it's a bit of a novelty then to have a to have a, a woman, kind of a female Jack Lalanne type, who is also up in the you know the Germany got Lenny Riefenstahl in the mountains, and we lucked out and we got Bonnie Prudden instead. It's interesting. I was looking at a list of the tallest mountains in the United States just this morning. I bet there are no gunks. Very few of them are in the Shawgunk Mountains. Well, you have to go through like... uh, It's like like the Himalayas. You got to go through a bunch of Alaskas before you even get to... You do. Whitney, much less. Yeah. I mean, and then you've got a few of the, you know, Whitney, Rainier... What's the Colorado one? Oh, Uh, there are two. There are three that are above... Elbert? Yeah, Elbert and then Mount Extraordinary or Mount... Mount, uh, Supernumerary. (laughs) Mount really big. There's something called like Mount Massive or something in Colorado. But there's between all these, there's like 30 Alaskan peaks. Yeah, there's 10. The 10 biggest are all in Alaska. Congratulations. Booyah. Well, well done. Now, I have a question about this. When we were kids, did you not think that Mount Rainier was the tallest mountain in the contiguous states? I don't think I ever did. I had a book. I yeah. had I had a facts about the 50 states book and... I'm sure you had a few as well. I did. And, but I think this one was very clear that it went Whitney. Whitney then. Is it Whitney Albert Rainier or is it no, is Rainier second? I think the second one is in California too. Sorry, is, is Washington the state with the third highest point after yeah. Alaska and California? Okay. Yeah. And Rainier is like one of the tallest mountains that's not, that stands prominent right. on its own. Prominence wise, it's like Kilimanjaro like almost. Tallest mountains in the United States. I think, is Shasta taller than Rainier? No. No? No. No. Come on. I was just uh, just fooling, just it's, testing you. It sits up there. Shasta and Hood are, are low. It's Whitney and then the three Colorado peaks and then Rainier, actually. Oh, there's not a second one in California that's above the Colorado no. ones. And it's so close. Like Mount Harvard in Colorado appears to have four feet on Rainier. We should go up and, and Mount Massive a- has 10 feet on Rainier. This is yeah. awful. It, even Elbert is only 30 feet higher. Yeah. We should go up and build a tower on Rainier like they did on the on the Sears Tower in Chicago and claim, oh, no, the 200-foot tower is part of the mountain. That has happened in mountain history, and I can't remember where. And it really was just for national pride. Like, if we just make this a little taller, now the tallest point in 
Surrey is taller than the tallest point in Sussex. And they do, you know, they just build a, you know, a cairn of rocks. Right. Every, every climber has to bring up a, a stone. I mean, you can really just do it by reshaping the top, right? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. like, uh, 10 feet. Come on. Rainier kind of flattens at the top. Why not give it a little Dairy Queen soft serve? Uh, flourish on top, a dollop, that's, if you will. That's the thing. If the if it if it wasn't a volcano, if those weren't craters, it'd be sixteen thousand feet tall, and it'd be a, a mic drop on all those Colorado mountains. We should get. So, do you think bef- does that mean before some eruption in the last millennium? Yeah, Rainier was taller than sixteen thousand feet than Whitney or uh, How, take that wow. uh, Gunks. Well, what's the the tallest uh, mountain in the Shaw Gunks is. 2,200 feet. <laughs> mountain in yeah. quotes. Oh, mountain climbers. Okay, sure. Uh, Our Cr- story starts there. Krauss and Prudden are climbing in the gunks in the 1930s. And it's not just that one's a surgeon and one's a rock climber. They are both also... Super sexy. Oh, man. You would not believe what was going on in the gunks at this time. It was like the Olympic Village meets Eyes Wide Shut <laughs> up there. <laughs> Hans and Bonnie could not keep their hands off each other. No, I have no idea. Hmm. There is no sexy component to today's show. I'm sorry. I know you hate that. Dang. Uh, they're both physical they're, fitness. They're, there never is with your shows. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned the uh, the hot lady in the Glade air freshener ad. True. The uh, They're also physical fitness advocates. Um, this is a thing that already exists in the 1930s. Physical fitness as a, as a, uh, a cult? Yeah, and as a cultural marker. I mean, I guess you could go back all the way to Sparta. The you Olympics. Know? Exactly. But back then it was generally associated, just like the marathon and the Spartans, it was associated with military prowess, you know? Yeah, right. A, str- a state needs to have a strong, fit youth because um, we'll use that to kill Athenians with. Right. How, how else are you going to fight naked with discuses? How else are you going to... Or discus. Disguy? I think discus is probably plural too. Right? Masters of disguise, um, but like I think the idea of uh, fitness as a not just a warrior class, but as a marker of I don't know cultural morality and just general well-being. Is this a Kellogg era kind yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, it, I think before Kellogg, you've got the YMCA. Oh right, you know the. When you think about the early 19th century, it was still the case that being portly was a sign of wealth. Sure, because it meant you weren't about to die before the next harvest. Right. And so when was that, when did that switcheroo, I mean, I've seen menus, like you remember the doghouse here in, in Seattle, the the uh, the old diner downtown where in the bar there was a, a like an old guy playing the piano and you could go in and name any song and he would play it and you could sing it. Did you ever go to the doghouse? You're looking at me with no comprehension. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for anything to happen in this story. Oh, (laughs) so it was such a great place. I mean, the food was was terrible. It was, um, well, now you would say it was there in the uh, Amazon triangle, but it's in the Denny Denny triangle. So just a couple of blocks from the five point. Yeah. And it was a totally, totally seedy diner. Like the toast smelled like a wet dog. It wasn't good. It was great. <laughs> and their menu, I think, in addition to having like hound dogs, uh, like anthropomorphized hound dogs telling you to get the pancakes. They weren't serving dog, hound dogs, I hope. Mm, 
Uh, but the, it was also the kind of menu that that, sh, that there was a there was a line drawing of like a big fat guy in a three piece suit, and it was like try the pork chops. His buttons are popping off in, in comic fashion. Yeah, but he's like you know he's really happy to to be a uh, three hundred fifty pounds, and and that was a sign he's of his. Jolly. But he was also like a uh, like a gourmet, right? He was a. I mean, he's eating at the doghouse, and he's a cartoon. But you know, it <laughs> it was meant to communicate that this this person. If you saw somebody like that, it meant that they had taste and that they liked to really dig into a hearty plate. Joie de vivre also. So that lasted until the 50s, because that's the menus dated to then, presumably. At what point was the shift complete to like muscly, totally like no fat on their bodies people were the rich ones and... And and chubby people were the poor ones. It probably it probably started with the twentieth century. I mean, it's the same story we're telling here: the fear of sedentary America, and in particular, um, you know, media reaction to uh, the rise of childhood obesity. Maybe. Oh. Um, oh. Because I think that's of when. Sugar. Yeah, that's when that kind of stuff starts to be demonized and stigmatized more. I mean, it's not that we used to. I, mean, I don't know to what degree the, uh, you know, the whole idea about the Rubens-esque standard of beauty. I remember bringing that up to somebody once and they said, oh, no, no, no. That's just what was in the paintings. But, um, you know, whoever that rich fat guy was with a with a rich fat duchess wife, um, he probably had a bunch of skinny mistresses too, you know? like <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know if I buy that, actually. I don't actually. think I do. Like the way, you know, just thinking about eyebrows recently, you see how culturally mediated all these beauty standards are, no matter how, no matter how deep and immutable they feel to us. Yeah, no, it feels like if you go look at Greek and Roman art, like the ladies aren't skinny. This was like a pretty famous writer who I could totally out right now with his bad opinions, but yeah. I won't. I'm not going to do, do it. Don't do it. That's not what this show is about. This isn't social media. The, if you think about Spanky, he was the star of our gang. It wasn't like you can never make our gang today. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even talk about our gang. He would today. just have to be ripped. <laughs> he'd have to be. He'd have to look like Brendan Fraser in George of the Jungle. Spanky and Alfalfa would just be hot totally. and shirtless all the time. Just boom. Couldn't keep their hands off each other or Darla. Uh, the thing about the YMCA is that's when you can see. I mean, when the YMCA started, it was really just like. Hey, young man, you're coming to town. You've got a bunch of awful flop houses and brothels and gin joints you could stay at. But that's, you know. There's no need to feel down. You don't need to feel down, but no. the Lord will, right? Pick yourself off the ground. God will feel down if you're staying in one of these yes. cheap gin joints. Indeed. What if there was a clean Christian dormitory where you could park yourself while you make your way in the big city? I like it. Have and you ever stayed at a YMCA in a big city? Uh, I've stayed as a kid when we went to Hong Kong. Sometimes we'd stay at what was called the YMCA, but it was really just a bunch of clean, if Spartan, budget hotel rooms. You know, it was basically right. a Best Western, and that's as close as I've come. Have you ever been in a? Oh, for sure. My dad used to play basketball at the Seattle YMCA, and it had hotel rooms. You know, you could live there. And and who was it? Who was living there? Well, in young the, man in the in the nineteen forties. My dad said it was a very respectable place for a bachelor to reside. I think by the time I was there in the 1970s, it might have been a little bit more like uh, sweat hogs in there. Are, you they know, are, are they down on their luck? You know, Arnold Horshack. Are they eating at the doghouse? No. Well, probably because it was great. That was where you could get a good pork chop. But 
but no, I mean, not down on your luck, you know, bachelor yeah. that didn't yet, his sales job hadn't yet produced any, any real income. Well, that's what ha- ended up happening to the YMC. It started out as just, uh, you know, a place where you wouldn't be sleeping in a puddle of vomit and sexual licentiousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello, if like, the, like the dog house. I didn't mean to say a puddle of sexual licentiousness, but I guess I did. Uh, in the mouth of a G.I. Joe. <laughs> it's all happening. It's war. all happening in the mouth of a crest user. <laughs> uh, but then it kind of it blossomed from that into a place where there would be a lot of clean, wholesome. The idea of a clean, wholesome place to live became overlaid with clean, wholesome recreation. And that's right. where it came to be the, the association with the YMCA with fitness. Yeah, basketball. You know, this is also where a bunch of guys are getting out their urges by playing basketball and badminton instead of touching themselves. And that ties into the whole Kellogg nutrition boom of the late. This is, that's, that's happening in the 1870s. The YMCA is kind of becoming an athletic destination. And so that's the same time period as all those nutritionist weirdos. Well, why didn't Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari live at the YMCA instead of moving into that, uh, sure. that all women's hotel? Or, or couldn't Jack, uh, what, Jack Tripper, couldn't the Three's Company guy have lived there? Seems like the YMCA was available to all those characters. It's like how today all these movies fall apart if you add cell phones. Right. All, all 20th century sitcoms Where fall apart. Where is she? I don't, I'll never find her. <laughs> she I'm was gonna, in a crowd. I'm going to have to run to the airport. <laughs> but now it's like, yeah, all these sitcoms make, all these people should just go to the YMCA. Yeah, right. All fun things are dead now. All mystery, all excitement. It's all, it's all gone. Because you can find any answer. Yeah, you can just sit and play Wordle at an airport waiting for the girl you met one time. <laughs> because she has your... In fact... She's been tweeting at you fact, for like two years. 85% of all dates and hookups are some girl you have met between zero and one time. <laughs> My sister went on an on a internet date last night with a guy she'd been talking to for months and really digs. But he wouldn't take, off, he wouldn't take off his mask. He's a science person. He's a computer person. And they were on some At date. dinner? Well, no, like they went, I don't know where they went. I, I didn't even think to ask, didn't you go to dinner? But she said he never, he never took off his mask once in the date. And she was like, I kind of, like I get it, but also, really? We're on a date. I saw, and on a date, you need to see that half of yeah. someone's face. What do you, what's, do you have any G.I. Joe's in your mouth? I'd like to know. <laughs> I mean, that could be a first question. How many cavity creeps do you have in your mouth right? I saw one of the Jeopardy writers the other day without a mask, and this is a guy I've seen, well, off and on for years, but have been working with for months. Right. And I saw him without his mask, and I... You realized he had no chin. (laughs) No, I mean, he looked perfectly normal, but I realized I had kind of extrapolated a face somehow, and it wasn't that. And for a second, I was like, I don't know if that's him or not. I'm 100% not sure if that's that guy. And I had to hold up my hand like this. I went to a restaurant not long ago and was flirting with the waitress. And it was one of those flirtations with the waitress that, in the old days at least, before I was a... Would would not get you arrested. But today... Well, yeah, that. But no, a flirtation with a waitress that was that was trending to like, hey, you know, what are you, what are you doing later type of flirtation. But neither of us could see the other's face. It was, we were just, it was just an eyes based i mean we were making each other laugh but we were just you couldn't tell i couldn't tell you couldn't tell if she had vampire fangs. the eyes are the windows of the soul well, but i know but it but, but the nostrils and the mouth are the we both are the kind windows of, of the cavity creeps at the end of the night it was like 
well, thanks. Okay, well, thanks. And you know, there it was. It was pregnant, but there was no. There's no way you're going to ask somebody out if you haven't seen them. If you haven't seen below, you haven't even seen their nose. Everyone should have a picture of the bottom half of their face, maybe on a little lanyard around their neck. No, stenciled on the mask. I mean, I've seen that, but it's yeah, creepy. It is creepy. What I'm saying is you take a picture of the bottom of your face, and you just wear it as a lanyard all the time. And, you know. You, Hold it up. I, I can look, like. I can look at you and then is. I'll, and I, you know, my eyes are up here and my mouth's down here. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> I put it together. No, you could. You actually should probably take the best picture from your Tinder, put it on a lanyard. And wear it around as you walk around. And you're like, this is me here. And here's my, you know, like, this is me, but 20 pounds ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little younger in this picture. The lighting is incredibly favorable for yeah. some reason. I, I have not been able to duplicate it, and I've tried. I had a very exciting moment going to the mail the other day. Oh, what John, happened? I got sent some amazing new products from Native. I got some too. Were yours like... Were yours flavors that had cupcake in the name? I have been using their mint cookie cupcake body wash, or maybe it's mint cupcake cookie body wash, two different baked goods in my body wash, cookie and cupcake. Because I before I had this, I would have to stand in the shower and just rub cookies and cupcakes all over my body. And it wasn't helping. I had a, I got a lot of ants on me. Well, I had two I had two things go on. When I opened it, I was like, is this going to how is this going to be cookie and cupcake? And when I smelled it, it was both cookie and cupcake. And then, of course, I thought, why would I want that in my soap? But then it turned out I really like it. I also got some fresh peach cupcake. I think it was deodorant. I can't remember which was which. And it really does smell like a fresh peach cupcake, <laughs> if that's a thing. So like, the hard part is just like making sure you, you rub it on your underarms. And not right. and not just eat the whole thing in one sitting. Well, so this body wash, uh, it's a it's a, a, a large bottle, and I've been using it every day, and uh, it tingles in a refreshing minty way. But the cupcake and cookie thing, it goes so naturally with my normal sort of cupcakey scent that um, it's a it's a, a pleasure to have with me all day long. It's a collaboration with a tiny cupcake bakery called Baked by Melissa. Okay. These are like based on the Delicious creations of that uh, company's founder, Melissa Ben Ishe, mixed with natives, we've plugged these before, simple but effective formulations to surprise and delight consumers with every wash and swipe. When I wash and I swipe, mm -hmm. I like to be delighted every single time. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, native delivers. So other brands, it might be every three times, every six times even, not native. You know what a drag it is to swipe and not be delighted. Oh, it's the worst. So you, you just keep swiping, hoping to feel something, yeah. feel something. I used to feel something when I swiped. So the native baked by Melissa collection has four separate scents available in deodorant, body wash, and shampoo and conditioner. And they still have the same guarantees you come to expect from native. It's aluminum free, vegan and cruelty free. The ingredients are naturally derived. You'll recognize everything on the label if that matters to you. The limited edition scents are tie-dye vanilla cupcake, mint cookie cupcake, that solves that question, fresh peach cupcake, and ginger lemonade cupcake. Mm, smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. And you'll get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. That's nativedo.com slash omnibus 
or use promo code OMNIBUS at checkout for 20% off your first order. Delight in every swipe. I gotta say, you know, we've gotten the YMCA created, but we haven't gotten too far with our story of Hans and Bonnie no, and the skunks. We went backwards. We're in the 19th century. But, you know, we've set up the fact that physical fitness right. exists. And now in America, it has, a, it has kind of a moral and even re- religious component. You know, you're, Now or then? Now in the story, in the early 20th century. Okay, right. It's, we, we've gotten to that point where it's not just, we need a fit warrior class, and now it's... It's virtuous. Yeah, now it's, it, it's, it's virtuous. Your body's a temple. Because it seems, because it, because being chubby is indulgent. Your 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 uh, your appetites aren't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a sign that you're 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 giving in to whatever your body wants, and part of Cartesian dualism is just that the body is endlessly naughty, and yeah. and the soul should be slapping it around with a with a ruler. I like that, and too. not in a naughty way. No, oh, I like the naughty body, and I like the the the, the naughtier soul, the mean soul. Yeah, the mean slappy soul and the naughty <laughs> naughty body. Did did you see the the Swiss guy that won the the downhill in the, in the Olympics? No, does he's, he have a naughty body? He's chubby. He's a chubster and fast and like a bad boy. Well, I mean, a lot of our conceptions and misconceptions about fatness are part of this story about fitness as well. Um, I think at first it's not about weight, maybe because you don't see as much visible range in body size then as now. Right. You know, kind of like when you walk around in Germany and you're like, everybody's stout, but nobody's really heavy. I mean, honestly, class being what it is, you can see it in America just by taking a road trip to a different County, honestly, or going to a different, like leaving the football game and going to a, to the opera. Switch from Costco to Walmart. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a strong economic and cultural component, unfortunately. Wait, were you throwing out Costco as like the the higher grade of store? Absolutely. Oh, wow. I mean, higher, higher grade of box store, for sure. Sure. I mean, what would you have said? When you go from Tiffany's to <laughs> Walmart, <laughs> what's, your, what's your example of America's uh, left-leaning left uh, uh, upper-middle-class box store? If you took a, a UFO to Tiffany's and then to Walmart, they would not believe that they were the same species. That's because they're from Star Wars planets where it's all the same. All the planet looks the same. <laughs> it's, all, it's all one biome and there's one city. But the people at Tiffany's are like grotesquely thin and then, yes. yeah. Exactly. Um, so in the 30s, in the gunks, when Krauss and Pruden are climbing together talking about fitness, they're talking, they, uh, they stay in touch. And in the 40s, Krauss, together with a collaborator, a Dr. Sonia Weber, um, starts working on physical fitness testing. And this is where the idea of science meets fitness. Because Was, was Krauss the, the mountain climber or the... He's the orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedic. Okay. Uh, he and Weber wanted to figure out how to evaluate health, you know, physical fitness with science. Right, in the American way. Yeah, because now we're going to do it with efficiency and calipers and right. and a lot of bad stuff happens at this time, and this might be one of them. Um, did they measure the size of your brain? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the Simpsons where they just bump Homer's gut and they time it till it stops jiggling? <laughs> and that's how you're supposed to, that's a measure of physical fitness. Like how far, how long, how, how long before this becomes a eugenics situation? I mean, I think it kind of already is right. I mean, isn't that inherent in like 
who are the, I mean, no, not, I don't want to say they're not, I'm sure their goal would be, how do we get everybody this way? Cause that's what it becomes. Right, 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 right. Um, but at first there is some sense of who are the fitter children and Krauss and Weber develop what is called for obvious reasons, the Krauss Weber test, which is a 90 second way to, to look at a child. This was for, you know, kids and adolescents and see if they have some basic measure of, of physical fitness, strength and flexibility seconds. in 90 seconds. Um, and that's not enough time to wait for Homer to stop jiggling. So what you do is you do six different tests and it's pass fail. Uh, you have the subject uh, do one sit up with their knees bent, one sit up with their knees extended. Then you have them lie on their back and see if they can raise their feet eight inches and hold that for 10 seconds. Then you flip them around, they lie on their stomach and you see if they can do the worm, basically raise their head and shoulders for 10 seconds. Um, do the worm. And then they stay on their stomach and then they see if they can raise their legs for 10 seconds from that. Um, pro, uh, pro supine, which is, which is it? Uh, on your uh, stomach is uh, supine, I think. And then you have them stand up. They have to hold their legs straight, their knees straight, knees together. Can they touch the floor for three seconds? I can do all those things. So yesterday I tried this and I found that I failed the test. No, wait. Supine is face up. Oh. Prone is face down. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Which one do you think I failed just standing in my office yesterday? Do you have a guess? You failed one. Yeah, I did. Uh, what were the last two? Uh, uh, lie on your stomach and raise your legs for 10 seconds. Stand up with your knees together and touch the floor for three seconds. Stand up with your knees together and touch the floor for three seconds is the one you could not do. That is correct. Yeah. I am not doing enough yoga, apparently. No, I couldn't do that. That's the one I couldn't do either. Let's see it right now. Can All you- right. Here we go. Stand up with knees together. You touch the you, floor for three seconds. Yeah. Knees together. You're like three inches off the ground. <laughs> You're getting closer. What if I can bend? Can I bend my knees? No, that's why the oh. knees have to be straight. If you no can, chance. if you can bend your knees, it's extremely easy to touch the floor. <laughs> You're, you're like a different color than you were a second Ugh. ago. Touch the floor with your knees together. So this God. seemed like it would be like, once I read it, I was like, oh, great. I can pass the Krauss Weber. And then I immediately failed. But you know what? I did it again that night and, and I could touch the floor. Huh. And that is actually a, one of the fundamental criticisms of the Krauss Weber is that these are skills. You know, more than raw measures. Oh, you can build them, in other words. Yeah, and not just by exercise, not just by actually getting stronger core muscles or more flexibility. You just have to, you know, some of these are unfamiliar movements, and you have to learn you can do them. Well, there are also people that can put their palms flat on the floor with no effort at all. Yeah, I mean, you can, what I'm saying is without a lifestyle change, you can actually... Yeah get better at this test. It's like the SAT. Like the second time you take it, you just automatically get better. All those people that can put their palms flat on the floor, I'd like to see them get a can of tomatoes down from on top of the cupboard on top of the refrigerator. That should be one of the tests too. I'd pass that with flan colors. Uh, Is that because you're taller? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I got it. (laughs) You know, there are other ways to test for tallness besides putting a can of tomato soup in a well you have, to, you have to be strong enough to pull the soup down and not you know fall not collapse the other day i was changing a light bulb on our stairs you know how it's like the worst place to try yeah. to change a light bulb yeah. how do you get it ladder? I'm, I'm up on some step ladder that's just barely tall enough to 
to touch it and not really enough to get purchase on it. And you're thinking, this is how I die. I, I really am. Because I am now at the age where like, I don't want to go to tiptoes on a stepladder anymore. You, you heard uh, about... Um, Bob Saget? Bob Saget. I know. How he died. I know. Mysterious fall. And then did, I apparently didn't know it was bad. I just went to sleep. Bonked his head, went to sleep. That terrified me when I heard the similar story about... Do you remember when Liam Neeson's wife, the same thing happened to her, Natasha Richardson? No, she bonked her head. They're out skiing. She bonks. She gets up. She's fine. An hour later in the lodge, she passes out because there was some brain-swelling, bleeding embolism thing that nobody knew about. Whoa. Ticking time bomb. And that's why I don't ski. I get closed head injuries all the time. How often? How many times a day would you say? It's because of my neighborhood stick fight team. (laughs) (laughs) We practice Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah, you're out LARPing with the gang. (laughs) (laughs) So... This, the genius of this test is you can do it 90 seconds and it's pass-fail. And so Bonnie Prudden, who has been climbing with Krauss since the 30s, decides she's going to do a, like a mass study of it. She takes 4,000 U.S. kids, administers the Krauss-Weber, and finds that most of them can't do it. Oh. 40, only 42% of Americans can pass this test. Did she throw the other 58 in a pit and cover them with lye? Yeah, eugenics. That's, that's what's going on. That's what's important. <laughs> And, uh, and here's what really changes history. Then she does it to 3,000 Swiss kids. Oh, no. And maybe they are, are jolly, jolly yodeling uh, folks like our skier friend. Sure, but they're chasing goats all day. They are wiry from chasing goats, I guess. They're leathery <laughs> Switzers. Uh, only 8% of them fail. There's a 92% pass rate when she does it on 3,000 Swiss kids. In the 1930s, to do fitness tests of the Swiss... And compare them to the Americans or anyone. This is actually post, this is post-war now, by the way. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. These Phew. are these are boomers. But still, I feel like it's bad. The war should have given us a little pause in terms of like maybe that's why she picked the Swiss. Are your children instead of yeah? yeah the Swiss were neutral. <laughs> not on the not on the guys the the side that got starved. Not on the side that got starved after. Well, so so. This is the world we grew up in, particularly one where we were constantly being compared to Europeans as Americans, and they were always just naturally beating us in every metric. No matter what we do. They have one glass of wine and one cigarette a day. And, and they, and can, they can run a marathon. That's right. And they can lift up a car with one hand. Meanwhile, we... Look at our math scores. Yeah. And we can't find the Atlantic Ocean on a map. We beat them in the war, but it was just, I don't know, dumb luck, I guess. That was, no, that was it. That was our last hurrah. Mm. And uh, be, this being in the 1950s, you can see what some of the narratives will be. Television has gotten invented. The generation gap has gotten invented. Candy bars. The greatest generation that won the war for us is watching their kids have a more comfortable childhood and are thinking... I don't want to leave it to Beaver. They're soft. Yeah, <laughs> these they're, they're all they're all some mean great Santini dad who, <laughs> who thinks their kids are soft. I built this. I don't want to leave it to that dumb Walter Haskell. Yeah, they're all crew cutted Robert Patrick from Peacemaker dads, and so this this very much reinforces this idea. And of course, as I've said later on, the science has kind of been seen to be bogus. Not just that these are not pure measures of of uh, any kind of absolute strength or aptitude or fitness, but also that uh, 
Apparently, they're very strongly correlated with the calisthenics that all European children do as a part of their schooling. Oh, like the Japanese do before they go to work in the in their auto Still, factory. Not just in the factory, in their in their advertising firm. They go on. <laughs> you, you, you get on the loudspeaker, and everybody does their sure. nose touches and their their gem and jacks. Yeah, singing a song of uh, fealty to the company. Singing the the company anthem. Sure. So they were taking Swiss kids who who did all these kind of tests routinely and they were much better at it than American kids who had never had to lay on the floor belly down and try to hold their head or their legs in the air, you know? Yeah. So they were getting a lot more fails. So now we know that this was bogus, but at the time you can see how the element of international competition is galvanizing. It's, oh, yes. it's not just that our kids are getting soft. It's that. Yeah. The Russians are putting a man in space. The other countries are not. And specifically some of our geopolitical enemies are not, uh, you mentioned the Cold War, and that's absolutely what happens. Eisen- President Eisenhower conveys, you just got delivered a cup of coffee. I sure did. This is, uh, Omnibus has taken a domestic turn. It really has. In we recent did, weeks. I didn't used to get deliveries of anything down here in the, the last, well, the last time you were here, we got, we each got like pasta delivered, a, like a scabetti. Yeah, we, we had carbonara. Yeah, carbonara. Even. Brought to us in the middle of our show. Things have changed. I don't know what I'm doing right. Do you have a, like, you know that button that LBJ had to give him a Mountain Dew or whatever? Do you, no. If I pushed a button one of those? and it buzzed somewhere in this house, the response would be another closed head injury. <laughs> you don't no, this is all, like, just nice behavior, and I, I don't know. I must, be, I must be nicer now. It's a little lesson for life. If you don't demand carbonara, it comes to you. It's like the, the Buddhism, the Buddhist view of carbonara. Carbonara in particular is not a thing you should demand it's it's very luxurious right like you could say i need some crackers i can't say like i need them this is the opposite of you of me being impressed by costco and you rolling your eyes carbonara is peasant food john (laughs) i know but 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 in terms of like a five thousand calorie like boost of of sauce that's true yeah it was not what i should have been eating in the middle of the day that's for sure um, so President Eisenhower, aware that America's children could be just run roughshod over by strong Soviet youth brigades. It always comes back to Eisenhower. He convenes kind of a, a White House conference of education, educators and doctors and fitness advocates, you know, right. Willie Mays is there, you know, prominent athletes right. are there. Chaired um, by Richard Nixon, famous uh, fitness. And Bonnie Prudden comes in and shares her scaremongering results about... Mm-hmm. The softness of American children. In fact, she the quote is: "Many youngsters today have no bodies." She tells them, "Yikes!" Which is alarming. Alar- alarming news, if true. <laughs> <laughs> it was the the era of Casper the Ghost. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Many youngsters today, like Slimer and Casper, have no bodies. Um, so, in 1956, as a result of of this media, the, you know, kind of the the beginning of America's worries about our our soft sedentary. Popsicle eating youth who don't have our, you know, they have all the easy things that we didn't have as kids, but now look at them. Washing machines and toasters. They're not out just, you know, climbing trees and and, and beating up the Greek immigrant kid. <laughs> That's right. Like we were. <laughs> uh, they uh, Ike convenes the President's Council on Youth Fitness, which uh, the following year, 1957, pilots what is called the Presidential Fitness Challenge, which kind of turns the, the uh, Krauss-Weber test into a systematic thing that all American children should try a challenge to see if they can stand up to their Soviet equivalent, I guess. Immediately causing 20% of American children to have 
a total inferiority complex that lasts the rest of their lives. Twenty's got to be low. Yeah, maybe sixty percent. It's over half. It's got to be over half, right? Let's talk about our memories of the physical presidential Uh, fitness test in a second. But um, somewhere along the way, in this post-war environment with a with a ex generalist president, the Krauss Weber test, kind of a, a aesthetic set of European calisthenics, morphs into a set of exercises that seems more like military basic training. Um, It's not quite the set that you and I might remember, but it's very similar. There are pull-ups, or for younger kids or for the girls, um, flexed arm hangs, Mm -hmm. where you just hang from the pull-up bar but don't actually have to do anything except except keep muscle tension. Yeah, Uh, There are sit-ups. There's a standing broad jump. There's a shuttle run. Back and you know, two lines, thirty feet apart. You go back and forth, so it's a test of both speed and agility. Biathlon. There's a fifty yard yeah, there's a biathlon. <laughs> there's a, a sword fighting challenge. Uh-huh. No, there's a fifty yard dash. Defuse there's, a bomb. There's a softball throw, which very oh. much is like something you would do at you know grenade exercises at at Fort Bragg or whatever. Overhand softball or underhand softball? I would assume overhand, right? Huh. Like for I mean for distance. So I remember when we did the softball throw at my field day, I realized. I could under I could underhand it further than the jocks were doing overhand, and I I did my little Ken breaks the system Rick Barry underhand softball throw, and everybody made fun of me. Sure, that's the end of that story. But, you know, like like many stories of presidential fitness, <laughs> like many of your stories, everyone made fun of me. And then a six hundred yard run, and you can see how some of these are six hundred yards. It's not the mile run. What is that? No, that's six football fields. Yeah, but like, like I ran, you know, I run a 5K a few times a week. That's not a huge run. For me, it would be. <laughs> it's a third of a mile. <laughs> For me, I would, uh, you know, I, by the end, uh, my footprints would be like three inches into the grass. <laughs> and they'd also Kaboom. be like, they'd also be like just inches apart. <laughs> Uh, by the time you and I did it, it was a mile run. Yeah, I remember. So you can see how these were. These are not just simple calisthenics anymore where you can, uh, you know, somebody can check a thing. It really is like, you know, pull-ups are like getting out of a foxhole. And, yeah. And throwing a softball is like throwing a grenade and wind sprints are like, you know, this. it's all become weirdly militarized. Like the scouts. <laughs> the scouts started out as weirdly militarized. <laughs> it took a while for calisthenics to get there. And, you know, by the t- within a few years, it's morphed into the, the stuff we grew up with, which was pretty steady for decades. There's curl-ups, so, you know, there's kind of uh, modified sit-ups. There's pull-ups, push-ups, and for most of the time, it's either how many can you do in a minute or how many can of a... I, I think with curl-ups, it's like how many real ones can you do at a, in a minute or how many modified ones can you do with no break. Um, same for pull-ups and push-ups. There's the dreaded sit and reach. Ugh. Do you remember this? Ugh. Put your legs in a V... And, and lean forward and see how far you can get That's your That's as bad fingers. as trying to touch the ground. It's worse. And it's also not scientific at all because it varies widely with the length of your legs and the length of your arms. Yeah. Um, there's the shuttle run, and then now it's not 600 yards. It's a full mile run. And boy, that was my least favorite day of PE. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, uh, 600 yards is almost one third of a nautical mile. <laughs> Do you think that's how... That's how they, they tried to sell it to America's youth. <laughs> Look, it's only a third of a nautical mile. Look, President Kennedy <laughs> swam all the way to an island with uh, towing five men on a rope. Um, and Kennedy is, of course, a big part of this story mm-hmm. because... 
But he's hopped up on goofballs. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of the irony. Because his back is broken. This is all about the, the glowing good health of John F. Kennedy, perhaps our least healthy president ever. And we had one with polio not that long ago. Um, by the time Eisenhower leaves office, it's too late. We have this militarized test for all America's youth in place. And President-elect John Kennedy, let's see if I can find it, writes a piece for Sports Illustrated. A weird thing for a president-elect to do then and now. Right. Saying, I definitely don't have Addison's disease. <laughs> That's the headline. I uh, do not have Addison's disease. That's wonderful. Why don't you do your Kennedy more? <laughs> I did it on Jeopardy once and everybody hated it. Now I'm scarred. And the story ends with everyone making fun of me. The, the piece he writes for, he's, it's him and Jackie on the cover and, the, you know, the deck of a, of a sailboat, of course. Right, of course. And the story is called The Soft American. And it's all about young people needing physical soundness and vigor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts out just exactly the way you'd expect, like talking about the ancient Spartans and the Olympics. Uh, beginning more than 2,500 years ago, from all quarters of the Greek world, men thronged every four years to the sacred grove of Olympia. I love it. And it goes on, and it really explicitly makes the, uh, I mean, then he says, look, we're not at war now, you know, since the police action in Korea, you know, he's, he, he makes the point that this is not a military thing, but this is actually the physical vis- vigor of our citizens is one of America's most precious resources. It's about fighting your brothers in flag football <laughs> on the front lawn of Hyannisport. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's, it seems, I mean, it's after the election, so you can't say it's a, campaign tactic but really think about how much of of the appeal of kennedy was young attractive guy young attractive wife touch football games on the lawn well and also the main hawkish criticism of him was that he was a lefty soft on communism you know like not right. not a tough guy and this would have this was a way to turn it around and make it new camelot physical fitness is not only one of the most important keys to a healthy body it is the basis of dynamic and creative intellectual activity. So, you know, w- without any support, he really just says that, like, the number of sit-ups your kids can do is just key to not just the American economy, but culture and intellectual sure. life. And this is a national problem and requires national action. So, you know, he he puts forth in this article all the things his White House is going to do to create awareness and councils about physical soundness. Your your Kennedy is really sort of a, a sort of a Teddy Kennedy. Is that right? Which I really admire. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the it's the accent you don't hear as often. It's also getting worse the longer I do it. So let's wrap this portion of the show up. Okay. okay. Uh, and this this leads to this I mean, and first of all, let's say let's admit it. Jack Kennedy did, probably did not write any of this. It's almost certainly Ted Sorensen or yeah whoever it was who wrote Profiles in Courage. I knew Jack Kennedy, and that was not <laughs> Jack Kennedy. But uh, a ma- as soon as he gets into the White House, a massive PR campaign begins. You know, he goes on 50-mile hikes, and, you know... He does not. There's pictures. <laughs> Bobby's there wearing, like, brown leather loafers. Sure. Small um, tennis shorts. You know, he wants the cabinet to come with him. You know, there's all these kind of photo ops of our... Of our healthy, vigorous president. General LeMay out there with a cigar. <laughs> puffing and puffing and puffing. <laughs> He's like the color of a raspberry. Um, the funny thing is, as you've pointed out, Kennedy was in terrible shape. His 
He had back problems dating back to Harvard. Colitis. Um, addicted to speed. I guess and, the back problems got worse during after the after PT one hundred nine. Right. Um, and then because he was like this rich elite, you know, scion of an Eastern family, when he came back from the war, he got all this experimental Mayo Clinic stuff tried on him that made it all worse. You know, if he had just done what everybody, you know, whatever the <laughs> better than his sister got. Oh, oh, hey, too soon. Hey. You know, but and in, the thing that your you know your family doctor would have told you to do at a clinic, you know, he he went and got all this experimental stuff that that made it all worse. Right, but like Hitler injections into his buttocks too. He'd probably be alive today. Have you heard the theory that he, well, he wouldn't be alive today? He, he could have ducked that bullet because he'd be. That's exactly it. <laughs> what yeah. he could have Mark Wahlberg did. So he uh, habitually wore a back brace because he was in such awful shape and didn't want people to know FDR style, and he was wearing an F, a back brace in Dallas. So the first shot hits him in the neck, and he stays bolt upright because he's got this infrastructure. He's got this exoskeleton. He could have survived the neck shot. I think the idea is the neck shot was survivable, and the you know the if not reflex, the normal response to getting shot in the neck would be to just fall fall forward immediately, and then the headshot never could have happened. He springs back up because he's because he's spring loaded. Yeah. Oh wow. I, I need to watch all that JFK conspiracy stuff again. I've been so distracted by chemtrails that I've I've lost all the plot points. I don't think this is like a, a, a what was his name, Garrison, Jim Garrison era conspiracy theory. This is more like- More recent. Yeah, recent orthopedic experts, you know, looking at his files and, and you know, you get some headlines if you say- Sure. He might never have been assassinated. If you were to open a store, John, what would you sell? Oh, I've thought about this a lot. You know, vintage sweaters, um, cheap guitars, like old guitars, but cheap ones. Start making soap? No, I'm not like a, I'm not some artisanal shop guy. I think it would all be found. Just stuff you're trying to empty out of your house. Yeah, recycled garbage. There's that store in, you know, the 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 little seafaring store in Paul's Bow yeah. that sells like old stuff from. Old fishing uh, bobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just wrecked sh- ship stuff. I love that store. You just want to sell old diving helmets. I do. I want to find stuff and resell it. When you begin your old diving helmet store, let me recommend to you Shopify. Well, now, how is Shopify going to help me? It's, uh, it gives entrepreneurs the resources that like a big store would have so you could compete with them as a little entrepreneur. Oh, this is helpful because I worry about this. You worry like, about big diving helmet choking well, out your business. It's just like there are so many things that you need to have a cool online business and I wouldn't know where to start. Shopify does it all. It helps you reach customers online using social media, helps synchronize sales you've done on different venues and platforms. Exactly. It gives you reporting of your profit margins and your conversion rates, and it helps you accept all major payment methods. It integrates all the behind the scenes stuff that has to happen for you to start selling diving helmets. See, this would be the stuff that was challenging for me, right? All the, like I would get overwhelmed by trying to do all this myself. Let Shopify do it for you. It's Hmm. more than a store. It grows with you. And I've got an exciting deal that I want to offer you right now, John. Well, Well, what is it, Ken? If you go to shopify.com slash omnibus. Now that's easy to do. Slash omnibus, all lowercase. You're saying shopify.com slash omnibus and omnibus is all lowercase. The letter O, it's lowercase. Oh, I see. So don't capitalize O, even though we normally would. The letter M, 
equally lowercase. So don't do lowercase O and then capital M, which would be weird. Neither shalt thou capitalize the N, the I, or the bus. Uh-huh. If you do that, you will get a free 14-day trial, and that'll have full access to the entire suite of features Shopify offers. Two weeks. Two weeks. So you're saying I could grow my business with Shopify today by going to shopify.com slash all lowercase omnibus, but don't type in all lowercase. Just type in the word omnibus, but do not hit the caps lock or shift key Right. while you do so. Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale. First sale to full scale. That's Shopify. All the way from first sale to full scale. The full spectrum of things that rhyme with whale. Shopify.com slash omnibus right now. Shopify.com slash omnibus. Speaking of the Kennedy assassination, which as we all know was engineered by his successor, President Lyndon Johnson. No, that's not true. Um, but when Johnson enters the White House, the he wants to continue, of course, the Kennedy Physical Fitness Initiative. And now for the first time, he has tied to the test an award. Oh. Now if you're in the top 15th percentile, you get a you get a certificate. Uh, right, 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 right. And the idea is, you know, just to gamify it and reward excellence. But you can see the problem with doing physical fitness this way. Like Now an, 80% of American kids have an inferiority complex. You have just, yeah, you basically said 85% of American kids are bad. And even by, by its very nature, by the fact that you're going to have PE teachers run these tests to all kids in turn. And guess what? The gym coach knows who can pass these tests and who can't. And he's still going to watch some, uh, you know, kid huffing and puffing in the last half of the mile run right? and watch somebody whose V-sit cannot, you know, get past their thighs. The, the first six kids that get picked in any kickball game don't need an, another certificate. Finally, they'll be told they're okay. Uh, and, and it's just a terrible idea to, to make physical fitness a basis of comparison anyway. Right. You know, because you're, you're never going to feel what every boot camp is. Sure. And the idea is that you're you know you're giving somebody measurable goals so they can say like well last time I did this many sit-ups let's see how many I can do this year and then they're proud of their progress. But because everybody's being tested at once in the awful environment that is American physical education, you're just creating generational trauma. Yeah, and it's uh, there's only there's only 4% of kids who couldn't pass the test but are motivated to try and pass it <laughs> exactly. next time. Yeah, who's not good at this <laughs> stuff but is really going to be like get a B in their bonnet. Oh my god, I really need to Two more sit-ups. If President Kennedy thinks this is what I need. Yeah, it's just the kids that are collecting baseball cards. The rest of us looked up from our copies of Mad Magazine, or in your case, the encyclopedia, or in my case, a Mad Magazine tucked into an encyclopedia, <laughs> and went, oh, God, do I have to? What, what, what were your memories of doing the... I was in a private international school in South Korea, and we still did the damn presidential fitness test. Oh, it was all over us in the mid-'70s. Um, but, you know, the mid-70s were also a time when there was all this new education kind of pushback. Uh, the You know, there were all of a sudden, not hippies, but... But it should be more free to be you and me in the <clears throat> school. Yeah, child psychology, I guess, became... Post-Spock America. So, it, so it, were comp- it was just like the competing sides of any school, right? The gym teacher and the soci- <laughs> sociology teacher and the history teacher were like, presidential physical fitness. And then the debate teacher and the, you know, the English teacher were like, oh, how do you feel about that? 
Do you remember taking these, doing these events, these six uh, events? I never got the certificate. I do remember them and they were horrible. At some point they introduced rope climbing. Oh yeah. And I couldn't climb a rope. I still can't climb a rope. I, I still don't believe anyone can climb a rope. I think it's CGI. My friend, Mike Squires, who was in the Marine Corps, you know, Mike, mm-hmm. guitarist of, uh, of many rock and roll bands. Mike is not a small person. He is, he's a chubster even, and he can go right up a rope. And not even use his feet. It just makes you think there's, you know, different kinds of innate body types yeah. and aptitudes that... Yeah, strong people and then the rest of us. I mean, and I'm strong, right? I can move a, I can move a three-man boulder, but I can't climb a rope. I remember my dad saying when this, you know, when this stuff came out when he was a kid, you know, he was the first generation to, to you know, have this Eisenhower-Kennedy era testing. And he was, he was kind of a... You know, he's a skinny guy, but he was like wiry. And for whatever reason, he was just born with the innate ability to do all this stuff. He could, I, when I was a kid, when he was in his thirties, he could do the thing where you, you put your, you sit down on the floor, put your palms flat on the floor and you can lift up your legs straight out oh, in front of you. Yeah. And you know, that's not gymnast stuff. He, he wasn't, he, that guy wasn't in the gym an hour a day getting to do that. Like that was just a party trick for him. Right. My, my friend in high school, Eddie Hakala, who was on the wrestling team, could do a standing backflip. The most amazing thing I ever saw. But Eddie could do a standing backflip when he was 50. He can still do a standing backflip. Wow. And I, I would think every time he would launch into it, He's got to be thinking, is this my last standing backflip? <laughs> no, in which case, he's probably, thinking ow. Was, he's probably thinking it was the last one, my last standing backflip. <laughs> but like when you're 16, if you land on your head, it's like, wow, whatever. Yeah. But when you're 55, like you don't want to miss. For me, the most traumatic event was definitely the, uh, the pull-ups. Oh. The standards for this stuff were unreasonably high, and they would tell you. They'd be like, oh, well, you're a 17-year or you're a 15-year-old boy. You should be able to run a six and a half minute mile. No. <laughs> and then it would be like, well, and you should be able to do 14 pull-ups or whatever. And kid after kid would just dangle from the bar. Yeah. And, and even that hurts. It's just awful. And you're not even like today I can do, you know, today I like, I actually take care of myself a little bit and I can do a few pull-ups. But when I was 14 I and I would just be hanging there like, oh, this Sucks. Sucks everybody's looking at my belly everybody's button. looking at you i i uh i definitely at some point could run a seven and a half minute mile when i was on the cross-country team and at my best i could do 13 pull-ups but now if i did two pull-ups i would be and then yeah. i couldn't do a I couldn't do a pull-up i couldn't even look at a pull-up yeah i mean a lot of my athletic friends were also just hanging from the bar like me they did the rings where you would you'd set off on a ring and you're supposed to grab the next ring. That's how you know this stuff is innate. I fell like, onto the floor. You can go to any playground today and watch three year olds do those rings. Yeah, and you know some people will just never do it. They didn't come out of the egg that way. And my daughter's uh, school kindergarten and first grade, there was a little girl that that decided she was going to skip every other bar on the on the swinging bars and I watched her get up and work at it. I sat on the playground day after day watching her go for it and until her hands were bleeding (laughs) and she never, she never looked anything other than completely determined. And my own daughter 
if she like had trouble using a knife to cut her macaroni and cheese, would throw the knife on the floor up into the and then go <laughs> into the other room. And I was like, well, look at you know, look at Lily's like stick to itiveness, grit. And it was just you know, it's like stick to itiveness, also a thing some kids have. That's the thing they say you should reward kids for stick to itiveness. Yeah, like if if your kid. Um hits a home run or gets an Anna test, you shouldn't be like, oh, you're so talented or you're so smart because then they think, you know. Yeah, no, you're describing me to me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good job. You don't have to work. You should really be like, I saw you work really hard on that. Good job. You should be a podcaster. I don't even care what the, <laughs> I don't even care what the grade was. <laughs> so I was, I don't think, you know, a generation was, you know, multiple generations were scarred or at least have like really unhappy memories of fitness. Even if I see that logo, the presidential physical (laughs) fitness logo, it it causes me anxiety even now. (laughs) They, uh, and it's awful because that was that kind of imprinted on them and became their lifelong approach to fitness and exercise was just feeling bad about yourself because, you know, and during the, during the cold war that you were letting America down yeah, because you were dangling from the pull-up bar or, your visit sucked. Well, and there was a vibe about it, right? That you, that this was like, this was going to determine something about your future. It's so funny that it's got the president's name on it. Yeah. The guy with the busiest job in the world also cares how many how many uh, curls, how many uh, push-ups you can do. It's got a freaking eagle on it, a, an eagle that's holding arrows in one of its talons. Think what a fun, think what a funny time that was when. Uh, you know, saying the president wants you to do this was the most inspirational thing you could tell a kid. Can you imagine today if you were like, President Trump wants you to, you know, run a mile or President Biden wants you? No, I mean, there'd be no faster way to turn off yeah. most of the class. They'd, they'd, they'd pull one of their earbuds out and go, what? <laughs> Brandon? Brandon said what? President Brandon? <laughs> so, you know, and even though I never felt particularly scarred by it, it did make me think that this kind of stuff was ball and no fun was there an equivalent uh, among korean kids did you see them out doing calisthenics at no their korean idea. schools i have no idea i wouldn't be surprised if there were like very regimented daily calisthenics in those schools it was right around the time korea had decided wait nobody's um nobody's cared about archery since the swiss 150 years ago <laughs> nobody's I, buying our cars we have a niche uh let's get really good at archery and then they that was the beginning of them taking over the world oh right and they they went on and were like, well, why not everything else? Pop music, the Oscars, nighttime dramas. But it started with archery. I was watching the Olympics and I and watching the Chinese curling team take on the Italians, the ultimate victors. Spoiler alert. And I was like, the Chinese have a curling team. Huh. <laughs> All right. They have ice. How long before they're the best in the world? The Chinese curlers. Well, in 2013. As late as 2013, the presidential fitness test was being administered. That was when it was finally mothballed and replaced with a more general president's council on... Being happy. Uh, well, I mean, that's when the idea of exercise had kind of modified into not not just how can we regiment it and regulate it, but like, how can we actually make people enjoy it? Well, I also felt this way about the food pyramid. <clears throat> if you look at the food pyramid... And you look at what most of us eat, it's all in the top little, like, have have one of these a I, I day. guess you could have a carb if, if you know. Yeah. 
and if then necessary. Have, you know, then have 17 helpings of fresh vegetables. And I remember as a kid, like, oh, this is an impossible standard to live up to. But the food pyramid's only gotten worse. And the food pyramid's gotten more demanding. Has it? I think so. When we were kids, there were like the four groups. Cheese? Eat, eat a quarter <laughs> bread, a quarter cheese, a quarter meat, and a quarter veggies. Uh-huh. And I was like, sure. Sure, I can do that. If, and, if, if corn and carrots are veggies. And now it really is like, if you're starving on a desert island, you might have to eat bread, but I hope it's whole grain, you know? <laughs> right. Half your plate should be... My wife's just... The other night, we were eating dinner the other night, and she was like, make sure half your plate is vegetables. And it just seems so sad. Punishment. You've seen a TV dinner. There's a little tiny quarter that's vegetables. Green beans. Everything else is supposed to be uh, uh, gravy-covered things. Half your plate is vegetables. How did your kids reply to that? <laughs> they, were, did, they pulled out one earbud and went, <laughs> what? And, non, and, and well, we asked which vegetables qualified, and she further clarified that it had to be non-starchy vegetables. No potatoes. No corn potatoes. No corn. Even like legume, like even... Um, beans. Yeah, even peas and beans may be no good. But at the same time as the food pyramid has gotten more demanding, probably as a result of more awareness and scaremongering about um, weight and weight gain and obesity, um, the, pres- the our relationship with exercise has gotten much more... Pathological? No, like individual. Oh, oh. You know, it's it's at least the way it's it taught now, it's like we would be so happy if our kids just looked up from their phone for one second. Oh, like, you're talking about with kids, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like what if you got what if you exercised? What if you just walked once a day? Just do something active, you know? Well, body positivity has changed the the conversation entirely, right? There's no you can't there's no I mean, there's so much judgment implicit in all of this stuff you're talking about, and we don't judge kids according to any of these standards. But my daughter got a Fitbit a month ago, and all it does is, you know, Fitbit stuff. It's basically a wristwatch that counts how many steps. And we didn't, and I had nothing to do with the Fitbit. It showed up as a gift from someone else at Christmas. But I I remember feeling like the Fitbit kind of did encourage me to every day remember to like, hey, have I walked? It's gamification. And it and she has gamified it without, you know, like I made no I was just like, Oh, your sure. Fitbit, what is it? What but did you, it say but today? You, but you give a kid a device with a score and exactly. yeah, a certain and kind of kid is gonna Now react she's to that. like at twelve thousand steps a day and really really just on her own kind of excited about it. I mean, I'm kind of horrified looking back at what the physical fitness, the presidential fitness test was. And it, to me, it does make much more sense that like ki- if kids associate exercise with fun, they'll, they'll just be in better shape and be happier in general and healthier in general. But I mean, that's not the way we run the rest of school, you know, like the rest of school is not just like cares if you do well, or if you, you know, what's important is that you liked the experience of hearing about science or reading a book. Like, I don't know what to do with that realization, you know? Like, does that mean we are doing school wrong? That school really should be, you should enjoy whatever you're doing. I mean, maybe on Jeopardy, you should, when people are like, uh, what is the, uh, you know, Bismarck? Be like, well... Tell me, tell me anything else about Bismarck, and I'll give you credit. Yeah, you know, like it seems like you're really into Bismarck. Like, <laughs> that's cool. You know, the real answer was Mitterrand. 
but I should give them style points. Sure. I mean, in my case, by no metric did I succeed in school. None, you know. You graduated. Barely, and it was a and it was a cheat. I graduated because the teachers were like, look, we don't want you back. Like, we're going to give you credit for this class you got an F in. So in no way, you know, like, I guess SATs. But in every other way, I was a, I was a failure by any of, of uh, the, the Kennedy-era standards of a child. But here I am, doing fine. Functioning adult. And so, you know, and not driven by competition, really. Like, none of the choices I've made in life have been driven by competition. Yeah, I think we've generally learned that's not the way to live. It's it'll yeah. it'll always lead to discontent and angry ghosts in your heart. Yeah, angry ghosts. Trying to avoid those. I mean, you know, but I still have all the all the voices that are like, you couldn't pass the physical fitness test. You know, they're in my head. I wonder if kids today do not have that, or if they are just doing it to themselves. Like, because they'll still see the differences. They'll still see their friend that can do the rings, or their friend that's on the ice skating or is really good at ice skating or their friend that's on the basketball team. Well, that's the thing about the the change in conversation, you know, there's a kind of defensiveness in the culture now. You see somebody on the rings and you're like, "Well, I can't do that, but it's not important, you know, like I'm I'm praised anyway." So it's hard to know. We're even suspicious of it, you know, like uh any not just physical fitness, but any kind of virtue. Oh, what's that? She says she's a vegetarian now. Like, you know, yeah, right. Like weirdo. Or he goes to, you know, he goes to church. What kind of weirdo hypocrite is he really? Well, and that's the problem for those of us, you and I, who were raised in the kind of weird shadow of this. It's hard to know. I mean, there's a suspicion that we have that maybe young people don't, where it's like, really? Don't you want to even try? Yeah. I mean, one of this is kind of the story of standards going from. It would be great if you could do 14 uh, pull-ups all the way down to touch grass once a day. And Look at grass out the window. <laughs> at least know what it looks like. But, you know, like now that I mention it, I realize that when I look at some of what my kids do in, in high school, a lot of it is like geared toward, hey, if you're enjoying it, this is good. Like, yeah. like they can pick their, you know, they need to read this many books, but they can pick their own books and if they want to pick graphic novels. if they want to pick graphic novels that's fine or you know I was doing study problems with my kid the other night and they were all like each wackier than the last like Dr. Doofenshmirtz wants to put lasers on starfish and and uh, sea slugs it costs 10 cents more to put a laser on a sea slug but he has 150 more starfish shaped lasers and this is your kid in graduate school <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes the Presidential Fitness Test. Entry 983.PR3117. Certificate number 39398 in the omnibus. Futurelings in the unlikely event that you have actual physical bodies. The young people have no bodies. Um, you can use those bodies to type in Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram... Uh, at Omnibus Project, if you have no bodies, surely you do do it with your uh, your minds. If you have no bodies, you can't touch grass. Can't touch grass. Visualize but you, grass. But you can think of grass. You can right. waft over it. Maybe you can be grass. Whoa. Maybe you are grass. Hello. Maybe we're speaking to. Maybe if we're speaking to future, gra you know, grass-like organisms. Every time you say touch grass, you're basically saying masturbate. 
<laughs> Bend over, spread your legs, and see how far you can reach. What would you? Yeah, you're probably not a species that can do the V sit. I can't really but, reach that far. Just down to this pleasure center. Or maybe they have ten tentacles and they can they can beat us all at the V sit. Right. They can touch their they can touch the ground. They can touch their head, touch their little noses all at the same time. Uh, you can find at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick in various uh, places. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can mail us um, your old fre- presidential physical fitness patches, and I will have someone stitch them together into a quilt, a presidential <gasps> fitness quilt. That would be a great idea. That I will uh, that I will use in my room as you know, in mockery of the whole enterprise. Except everybody who actually passed the presidential fitness test. Still has it on their jacket. Immediately died in Vietnam. Oh. <laughs> That's a little dark. Ouch. <laughs> um, you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. You can share your experiences with physical fitness with a group of fitness enthusiasts over at Omnibus Futurelings on Facebook. Um, Hold on. You mentioned the mailbox. Yeah, I'm opening a box from Chris from Bakersfield, who says, and this is helpful, I'm the one that sent the RC Cola flat cans. Oh, nice. It yeah. is good, because yeah. like, you know, I don't, sorry, Chris from Bakersfield, doesn't ring a bell. Thanks for for remembering us, because I, I was looking at those the other Remind day. Remind bring? Yeah. So now we know who you are, Chris. Uh, here are a few items for you guys. One, in the yellow envelope, there's, this is a treasure trove, rep- referencing the Universal Studios backlot fire. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Did he, does he have some ashes? <laughs> the ashes of the original masters to the to a Cleo Lane record or something? Oh, it's um, no, it's uh, souvenirs of the Universal Studios tour. It's a King Kong. Oh, look at that! Universal Studios tour coming June 1986. It's a magnet. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a vintage 80s era magnet, and then two pictures of the early King Kong ride. Okay, wasn't that the King Kong ride that started the fire? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Oh, these are actual photographs taken by our friend. These are not postcards. These are, these are home photos. And one regarding the Amargosa Opera House. This is more, which is kind of a ba- Bakersfield. It's closer to Bakersfield than it is to here. Yeah, and it's he sent us a borate dictionary. It appears, about, it appears to be a printout of uh, a glossary of, of borax-related uh, terms and words in alphabetical order. Hmm. Oh, a lot of them are, uh, I see a lot of them are products made using borates. Graphite crucibles. Sure. Uh, used in glazing crucible services. You couldn't glaze your crucibles without borax. Nope. Uh, min- it's a crucible that's used to glaze crucibles? In nuclear power plants, you need them for the neutron absorbers. In That's oil. one of my favorite uh, Pointer Sisters records. In oil wells, the fracking compounds have boric acid in them. Porcelain enamels. And then on the back, there's a timeline of borax. <laughs> this must have come from some... from some. Uh, it's a handout from some borax company. The timeline of borax is fascinating, leading from the past, 18 to 12 million years ago, when the first boron deposits were formed, all the way to the future. Which, dum, is a, dum, dum. which is apparently heralded by sentient borax. 1997, the future, when the uh, 
the Borax Company celebrated its 125th anniversary and opened its visitor center. Uh, and then what's in this? What's in this box? Here, I'll open this while you talk about the Patreon. Uh, please support our show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. There are lots of cool things available to Patreon supporters, including uh, gifts, special handwritten notes from uh, our shows, uh, access to a photo array of, of pictures, including the one Ken took today of me trying to touch my toes. <laughs> Uh, you oh, you can, saw that? You can suggest shows. You can uh, you can interact with uh, with others. This show was suggested, in fact, by Krista, who oh. who was uh, donated at the Washing Bear level this year. Thank you, Krista. And we we've been meaning to do the presidential fitness test for a long time, so we've, we've jumped at the it. chance. That's Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject. Uh, Chris uh, sent us in what appeared to be a, like a stick blender box. It actually contained two. 20 Mule Team mugs oh, yes. from Boron, California, each with its own little chip of, uh, of, of borate. Some, some kind of borax so crystal. Cool. Chris, what a wonderful set of gifts. Now I finally own I believe borax. that this shows true love and affection for us. The flattened RC cola cans were good enough. Look at that borax. It, this is just above and beyond. It's really beautiful stuff. And now we each have a 20 Mule Team Mug. You or, don't drink coffee, so what do you use mugs for? My house is still full of mugs for some reason. For I, the for the once a year you have hot chocolate? Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> we really cut loose. Do you do you ever drink tea? You Most right? mostly herbal teas, oh I think God. is what they get used for. That's so lame. Really? Yeah. A delicious rooibos tea. Yeah, just picturing with milk and honey is lame. And Mindy sitting around drinking herbal tea. Just yeah, like you, somebody should come there and slap you. It's because I wasn't uh, into fitness in high school. Now I have to sit around and drink herbal tea all day and feel virtuous. Do you have NPR on while you do it? Oh, absolutely. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Look at this. I'm drinking out of a California Republic mug right now. But you could switch over to a Boron California I'm mug. I'm going to. Not only do we have NPR on, but we're, uh, we're, we were just unpacking our Costco groceries when, sure. we, when we drink our herbal tea. Sure, with the other thin people. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.